Here we go. Welcome to the Not Sunday School Podcast. This weekly podcast is a new spin on traditional Sunday school for people either too tired, too lazy, or just with too many kids to try to make it up to the church in time. We want to reach our community with the gospel of God's kingdom by going further than our own church doors will allow. On this podcast, we hope to dig just a little deeper into various subjects than what we're really able to do during a weekly service. In this season of the Not Sunday School podcast, we're taking a deep dive into the book of Acts. Wow. We have Andrew Hicks with us this time. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. And we got Alyssa here. Yep. And we got Nathan. Say hi, Nathan. Oh, wait. No, he's a no show. He ditched us. He ditched us. What? Yeah. So did John. Apparently, he had a sickness or something. <laughs> wait, John <laughs> the or plague? Nathan had a sickness? <laughs> no, Nathan has um, drill this weekend oh, with okay. the Texas Army yeah. Guard. Gotcha. Texas National Guard. <laughs> like, that's not what it is. <laughs> Why am I talking like this? <laughs> I know these words and that's not the right arrangement. <laughs> so, yeah. So we got Andrew Hicks with the Church of Christ. I think I'm going to try to make you a regular. Sweet. If I, I can. I love doing this. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and, but I mean, he is about to have a baby. So. Well, he's not. His wife is about to have a baby. <laughs> we'll get into sexual confusion a little bit. Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Andrew, you actually have a podcast as well. You want to plug that real quick? Yeah. It's um, so my personal like ministry brand or whatever, I, I guess that's what mm-hmm. you call it, is text and context, mm. but without ease. Because the one with ease was already taken, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't afford to purchase it. So, so if people are searching for it, what do they type in? Yeah, yeah, t x t a n d c o n t x t dot com. So okay, text and contacts, no ease. I'll make sure com. to put that in the description too, yeah. so that people can go check out your. Yeah, yeah, and I'll send the podcast specifically. That's just my website, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll send you the podcast. Are there any specific episodes that specific. you're excited about that you want people to check out? Yeah, I've been really excited about my sermons from Mark lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark's gospel is a brilliant piece of literature and just happens to be in our Bible. And also I'm going to do an interview with this guy, Dr. Gallagher, about the Septuagint, which is a super Bible nerd thing yeah. <laughs> for the Old Testament in Greek instead of Hebrew. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. for people listening that may not know, what is this? The Septuagint yeah. is the Greek translation of Sometimes people say Septuagint. Oh, that's Septuagint, what I thought it was. Septuagint. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I've yeah, heard it's, both. It, yeah, it's... It's abbreviated in the Bible as LXX, mm-hmm. all caps, which is... Uh, a 70. 70. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just see this like, what's the LXX? It's it's saying like, oh, go look at the Septuagint, because it mm. might be a slightly different reading than the Hebrew. Mm. So Why do they... Why, why is it abbreviated with the Roman numerals for 70? Because originally, so the legend goes, um, it's not... Probably not historical, but so the legend goes, there were 70 scribes in Alexandria, Egypt, who translated the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, from Hebrew to Greek. And whenever they went separate all by themselves, and when they came back together, oh, they were all exactly the same right, down to the right. letter. And this it's is a, a sign miracle. from God. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what it is. But I mean, it could be true. It could be true. <laughs> There's just no like r- recorded evidence. It's of just it. like, yeah, it showed up pretty late. Um, so, like, the letter that describes that phenomenon happens in like second or third century AD. Mm-hmm. Whereas the phenomenon of that actually happening would have been would have been several several centuries around the time of Socrates, right? 
Maybe. I don't know. I get mixed up on my timeline, frankly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Unless one. I hear times and dates a lot, you know? Yeah. They're yeah, not yeah. gonna stick. <laughs> I still have smooth brain. Smooth. The smoother the brain, brain. the less intellect. Oh yeah. You want the a wrinkly brain. The more wrinkles and grooves in your brain, mm. they say is. Which is mm-hmm. weird because you would like like with a sponge if I just like wrinkle it. Mm. It's less. It's not as impressive. Or like a like a receipt or paper or anything. It just like shrinks. I don't want to talk about brains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought that up. Your head's gonna start itching. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're actually in we're in Acts chapter eight now. Yeah. Um, last episode we covered chapter six and seven together. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of chapter eight kind of picks up where that left off um, with the the death of Stephen. I did want to point something out though that I learned. It was a question that Nathan brought up. I think it was Nathan that brought up this synagogue of the freedmen. Hmm. Um, do you know anything about this? Where is this? Um, technically, this is back in chapter. I think it was six. Six. Yeah, yeah, back in chapter six, verse nine, eight, nine, ten, where they they used this, uh, where uh, Peter and John were arrested for preaching um, in the temple or too close of a proximity to the temple. They're arrested by the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, I have no idea. Um, in my Bible backgrounds commentary, uh, Keener points out, uh, Dr. Craig Keener is a fantastic theologian. Brilliant. Brilliant theologian. He, okay, he's also, do you know how weird he is, though? He's super charismatic. No, no, like, he's, I mean, he's like like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Right, yeah, yeah. He's like the Christian equivalent of that. Yeah. He doesn't drive. Everybody drives him around. He gets home from work in the afternoon and, like, just starts reading and writing, and then he stays up to, like, 4 a.m., reading and writing and that's how he's able to crank out this ridiculous amount of stuff. Yeah. Like a 4,000 volume or 4,000. Whoa, that would be insane. Yeah. 4,000 page commentary on acts on acts. Yeah. Which so is insane. this guy's, he's the real deal too, though. He was missionary. No, no, he is. Yeah. He's he just a still is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he married an African woman and they, they led Christian communities in Africa during a brutal persecution of the church there. They saw real war, real church persecution. Mm-hmm. And he, him and his wife write about it extensively. Anyways, we kind of digress a little bit, but Craig Keener is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Um, but he wrote about the synagogue of the freedmen. And um, back during the, I think it was like the Maccabean revolt period. Mm-hmm. You know, this is pre-Jesus. Um, there were Jewish captives within um, what's called the diaspora. It's the mm-hmm. the Jews that didn't make it back to Jerusalem after the second temple was built, all right? And this is where the idea of, this is where synagogues came about. These little community buildings were built um, and that's where traveling teachers would come and they would teach from the community building. But that's also where kids were taught. It was, you know. Women and men could join without like a wall separating them. Like yeah, the exactly. Temple. They would have their... Um, 
well, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah wasn't a thing yet. That's more rabbinical stuff. But anyways, my point is they would have community events and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to give a good example. Jewish community center. Kind of the way we treat the church. The way uh, we treat hall. a, well, the, kind of the way we treat the, the church building now. Yeah. That's what that, trying to compare the church to the temple is just very inaccurate. Yep. You know, it's the way we treat our churches today, our church buildings or property and facilities is more like the way the early Jewish uh, Israelites and early Jews treated synagogues. Anyways, my point is, after rambling, the synagogue of the freedmen was a synagogue that was um, formed from a group of men that had been, that uh, earned their freedom back after Mm -hmm. being Roman captives. And um, a lot of scholars believe that Paul is actually a part of this, um, this thing. Yeah, because he shows up like he just right happens to be it. at this <laughs> this synagogue at <laughs> Stephen Stoning. So was Paul formerly in some form of slavery, servanthood? Well, what uh, Keener brings out is that a lot of scholars believe that his family in the past was so he came from this heritage <laughs> of this. This freedman. Hmm. Um, I like that. So probably Paul's, you know, great, great granddaddy. Great, great, great granddaddy. Granddaddy's granddaddy of Tarsus. <laughs> <laughs> so but anyways, so chapter eight, we see, what is it? Oh, I went too far back. There we go. <laughs> Alyssa, you want to read the first few chap- uh, verses of chapter eight? Yeah, sure. Um, so, and Saul approved of their killing him. That really, is, that belongs back in chapter It really seven. does, yeah. Uh, talking about Stephen. Verses and headings are not inspired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Mm. So this is this is really the first organized persecution of the church, and Stephen's death marked that. Mm-hmm. Paul essentially got um, orders um, from the Jewish government. Governing, it would, you know, there's no real, official, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the powers that be gave yeah. Paul papers to the, go uh, and do this and like head the, this up. Like the bishop, mm. kind of like like in Christian terms, like the the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, <laughs> the, the president of the Southern Jewish Convention or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to chase that. Um, something right off the bat that jumped out to me here is and I wish I could take credit for this uh, N.T. Wright in his uh, commentary on Acts brings this out historically when um, any group whether it be Israel or the Romans or whoever if there was a social disturbance, say like a cult or some sort of movement, um, if they wanted to squash that, usually what was done was you go after the influential people 
the prominent people, those that are some have, have some sort of renown and influence within that movement. It's this idea of cutting the head off so that the body dies, right? And <laughs> like a two brute, that whole like kill the, the main person kind mm-hmm, of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Luke makes a point to say that Paul is dragging off both men and women. Now, if mm-hmm. this was the strategy, this you can't build a doctrine off this alone, but this is just a hint, a hint of evidence yeah. towards um, the early church, the early, early church having both men and women <gasps> prominent <gasps> figures, what? influential people. Yeah. Heresy. I know we talked a little bit about that the last time, and I know in certain traditions mm-hmm. um, and even the more, I don't know how to say this, maybe the more r- rigid form of the Church of Christ mm-hmm. would be anti, you know. Churches of Christ are probably the strictest denomination on women's roles mm-hmm. on the whole. Like, there was a church I preached at one time where I was well, trying to urge them to say amen, mm-hmm. and a woman was very concerned that I would urge everyone to say amen, because that would include women. Because women should be because silent Because women in church. should be silent. It's Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. I yeah. mean, it was like... Are you serious? Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. I, to me, I think when we get weird stuff like that, um, things that are oppressive or just unloving towards any people group, mm-hmm. it's the result of usually literalism. Yeah, you know, it yeah. literally says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, it's also like frustrating because this has been like translated. You know, there's so many different like um, translations, or you know types and stuff like that. So like for you to just take something from, you know, one type. King James version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good enough for Peter and apostles. It's good enough for me. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know who King James is. <laughs> are, are a lot of Church of Christ King James only? King James only? Yeah. There's a good amount of them out there that are King James only. It's weird. It's like, I don't know. We have no we have no formal governing body at all. Yeah. So it's amazing that we've held as much like cohesion to our group as we have because it's like seriously it's a it's a roll of the dice every yeah. church you walk in and yet somehow we're all kind of still connected. Yeah. That's why I think it's really important for like in in our community here at the gathering mm-hmm. um, with having multiple churches share facilities share property. Um, you know, with Church of Christ Bastrop Church of Christ being one of those. Churches of Christ are not the same from door to door to door. No, they're not. You know, no. you can't lump them into a, just because it was your experience going to grandma's church mm-hmm. growing up, um, that doesn't mean that's what every church of Christ is. That's right. And there are churches of Christ nowadays that have full worship bands in there, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not many. Not many. <laughs> Not many. But I mean, how are they kind of viewed overall? So, like, even us and those; those are viewed as the quote progressive, progressive churches, which is a negative term. Which is a negative term for them. Like, for it them, doesn't yeah. take much to be called liberal in the churches of Christ. So, you, you basically have three main camps, right? You have like the um, what we would call the anti's, anti-institutionalism, which means you can't support children's home as the church. You have to do it as individuals. Don't ask why. Okay. And you, 
like another thing is like, oh, you can only use one cup when you take communion. And if you do anything else, like mm. multiple cups, then it's sinning and you can't have a kitchen attached to the church. Like there was debates about whether you could have an awning leading from the building to the gymnasium that has a kitchen. Is it, so that group. Is it a high regard for the facility itself being quote unquote the house of God? So the building See, we're not allowed, should be revered. So like even traditional Church of Christ buildings are like crap. I mean, like seriously, they are. Remember, you are being recorded. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they are just like utterly awful buildings. And they're like, it's the people, not the building. And so. Oh, oh, I, like see what you mean. I see what you mean. They pride in this like awful, oh, yeah. awful facility. See because how they're like, humble and meek we look? Yes. Yeah. Like it's this weird thing. And it's like, well, I mean, like I think it's not bad to have, you know, like a new air conditioner once in a while or Maybe something. Maybe to yeah. change out the carpet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, God forbid we get the wrong color carpet in there. That's worth splitting the church over. Yeah, yeah. and it, there's so there's that group. Then there's like the main line, which is just like no instruments is the big thing. Women can't do. Jack Diddley. Those are the main things. Oh. That like to find them. And like this rigid literalism to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They Their phrase is, speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent. I had that crammed down my throat from a very young age. And what do they think that means? <sighs> Scripture doesn't say clearly whether we can or cannot worship with instruments. So therefore we can't. Mm-hmm. It's silent. So we're <laughs> silent where Scripture is silent, that kind of thing. Hmm. There seems to be, at least in my experience with a lot of church, a rejection of history mm. alongside the Bible. Oh, we think that we are just like... It's like we actually think we restored the early church and we're like, got it down. We're good. We're just like Peter and Paul. I heard that growing up. Yeah. If Peter and Paul walked in, they'd be like, yep, just like we were doing it. Yeah. I'm like, no. No, I don't think <laughs> so. Long, so man, um, <laughs> there are a lot of uh, independent churches or uh, non-denominational churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate using the word non-denominational because as soon as you give your church a name, you have thereby denominated it. Yeah. We're of this church, not this church. Yeah. You know, we go to this organization, not this organization. So, I mean, you're not actually non-denominational. And even nowadays, non-denominational is kind of a denomination in and of (laughs) itself because we're all copying each other and we're doing the exact same things. Non-denom is a denom. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Um, We're non-denom affiliated with the assemblies or the GBC or the SBC or the TBC. Yeah, there was a joke back in uh, the town that I lived before I came here. It was like, well, you have explicit Baptist and implicit Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the churches that have Baptist on their sign and then the churches that are Baptist <laughs> but don't put it on their <laughs> sign. We're covert Baptist. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you're the same thing. I think every denomination has that same thing, man. Mm-hmm. The, the the struggle of... Um, and then, like, we're the progressives. Mm-hmm. We're not progressive. <laughs> So he dragged off both men and women yeah. <laughs> and well, put that, them in prison. <laughs> yeah, the conversation about women is what was pulled yeah, out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think there's way more convincing evidences in Scripture for yes. the equality of women's roles within and with uh, within and outside of the church. I agree. Yeah, this is just kind of one of those smaller ones that's just like kind of slipped in there kind of thing. Like it was just normal for him to write it in there. I was just speaking with um, somebody, um, he's an elder at another church here in Bastrop, 
And one of the big questions at that church right now, as they're going through some structural changes, is should women be elders? Through the course of conversation, this is kind of something that came out. I would like to develop it even more eventually, but maybe we could even do a series on, you know, women in leadership. Mm-hmm. But um, Adam and Eve, how do I want to say this? <laughs> <laughs> the result of the fall is women trying to overpower men and causing men to therefore overpower women. This is what I mean. When God said your desire, when he was talking to Eve, he said, your desire will be for him, but he will rule over you. This is the exact same Hebraic phrase that's used when God's talking to Cain. Sin is outside the door crouching. Its desire is for you, but you Mm -hmm. must rule over it. So it's that same dynamic between Adam and Eve. That's a result of the fall. Men ruling over women, women vying for power to rule over men, that dynamic, those behaviors are the result of the fall. Yes. Now, did Jesus redeem us from that or not? Did the cross go as far as that? Meaning, for redemption to truly be redemption, grace has to go as far as sin went. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So that dynamic is the fall. That's unredeemed anywhere we see that in scripture or humanity that's just showing that it's not perfect yet mm-hmm. but the trajectory of women's roles from even torah elevated the roles of women within the ancient near eastern context right oh yeah and then it's been elevated ever since then and when jesus came he elevated even further you read writings from the second and third century there were women elders there were women prophetesses, evangelists, deacons. There were women so all women throughout apostle. the church. In Even the apostles, yeah. yeah. Junia. Junia. We, for, we do not talk about Junia. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've heard it two different ways, either Priscilla or Priscilla mm-hmm. um, and Aquila. Mm-hmm. She's mentioned first. She is, that is which is countercultural. Weird. Mm-hmm. weird. So <laughs> you want to talk more about she, that? Yeah, I mean, usually the man's listed first in couples, uh, if at all. If she's even in listed. all of antiquity. In all of antiquity. And yet she's listed first, especially with these teaching roles, which mm-hmm. makes it seem like... She instructed um, Apollo. Yeah, yeah. So like like whenever I'm up here, sometimes we'll say, Andrew and Hannah are our new pastors. Right. Right. Or even pastor singular as if her and I are one person. But, you know, like there's that language that you use. I almost think it's like that. And so it's like, but whenever I come first, it's like, I'm the one that's hired. I'm the one that speaks more regularly. But I wonder if it's like that with... Priscilla and Aquila, that she's the one that's like, mm-hmm. she's the, uh, she's the lead. She's the lead. Yeah. Like she's the one that has great communication. He's just there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's important to point out though, with Bastrop Church of Christ, y'all are different. Yeah, we are. And the, the, um, bringing your congregation into a more, um, biblical expression, especially with the roles of women in the church. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's actually caused problems for you, yeah. but you had your, this group that I know before, it was a, I got there. before yeah. you got there, but that group that just stuck to it. Um, I mean, y'all are rebuilding now. Yeah, we are. Y'all are experiencing growth now, right? I, yeah, I'd say so. I yeah. mean, it's not, 
Growth isn't just butts and seats. Then yes, we are experiencing <laughs> tremendous growth. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. right. It's not just butts and seats, but um, yeah, we are. And it's it's been so life-giving, for example, that my wife can participate. Mm. She led singing in our church the other day. I say that and people around here are like, oh, okay, great. I'm like, no, that's a huge fantastic. Like we, (laughs) her parents aren't going to listen to this podcast. It's fine. We haven't (laughs) told her parents that she led singing because they would like flip a gasket. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So Hannah leads singing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she a musician? No, no, no. She did like chorus and stuff in high school. Okay, we're Church of Christ. We don't have musicians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not not in your services, but you have musicians. Yeah, 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 we do. No, she's not. But yeah, I don't know. And I was gonna. Um, oh, I have no idea. I was gonna say something else about the women thing, but I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> sure, it was brilliant. so we have a woman here. Yeah. How how has this affected you Dude, in the church, woman. or has it really even affected you? Have you kind of grown um, up in situations where women you felt empowered? Yeah, there was. I mean, like. I don't know. I guess I never really paid that much attention to it, especially growing up, you know, here in celebration, there was always strong women, strong women. Yeah. That were in my life. That's always been typical in celebration or God's open door or whatever you used to be. (laughs) Yeah. Mostly. No, I don't think so. I think if John were sitting here right here, he would, he would say, honestly, no, but we want that. I think the big thing here at celebration is women who are interested in leading. Mm. Just because you don't see it, that doesn't mean it's not available. It's just you have to have people, women, that want to be mm-hmm. teachers and upfront. And also you you have to be a team player too. And you know, when you're talking about being on a leadership team, it's a team. Yeah. And so yeah. If someone's corrected, it's not because you're a woman. It's because you're part of the team, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's a real dynamic too. Sure. You know? I didn't mean to interrupt Yeah, that. go ahead. Oh, Flo no, thought no, I was no, just good. clarifying. Yeah. No, I just, I've, I never really, I mean, I've heard of other people that say things like that. And even like when we lived in Temple and we went uh, to that one church, I don't remember what it was called, but there were definitely some people in there that like, they told Josh that he, like, I have too much of an opinion kind of thing. And I allow my wife too much of an opinion in our household. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not funny. It's not this, funny. This came from an unmarried young guy. Of course it did. Yeah. So that was interesting. And it kind of blew my mind that, that there were people in this day and age that did think like that. And I just, oh, yeah. like, I never really realized it. But for the most part, I guess I've never really dealt with it mm. personally. So dealt with it or experienced it. <laughs> experienced uh, it. Yeah. Experienced it like face to face. Like nobody has told me I could not do something because I was a woman. You can't do something because you're. That's a woman. awesome. I just told you that. You did. <laughs> you looked straight so at me. And uh, he locked uh, eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you said you've never heard it. Now you've heard it. Uh, now I have. <laughs> okay. I don't mean it. I can uh, mark that off my my list. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad I could help the patriarchy. Not really. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> Philip moves on to Samaria. Okay. Yeah. As um, So essentially this persecution caused 
almost all the believers except for the apostles to leave Jerusalem. Scatter. A great example of they meant it for evil, but he intended it for good. God mm-hmm. had made good out of it. Um, I personally, I don't know where like you guys are at on this. I like, think you're about to say what I'm I about get to say. cautious about attributing bad things to God mm-hmm. because it's like, I'm not saying it couldn't be. I wouldn't dare say that, but like there's some extremists out there who are like, as soon as there's a hurricane, it's like, well, God's, God's just pleased with your city. Yeah. yeah. Well, COVID is God's judgment, you know, or whatever. God's killing babies because he wants you to repent. Because he want yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Like that's awful. I'm, I'm not saying God couldn't bring a disaster or bring a pun. Like, he can. He's God. I'm saying we can't discern when it is in the moment until much, much, much later, even if we could discern it at all. Good things are always from God. Bad things, uh, we're not sure. But uh, in this scenario, it's like, no, it, something bad happened. I don't think God intend, like forced the persecution to happen, but mm-hmm. I think he brought right. good things out of that yeah, persecution because right, right. it spreads them out yeah. so that they take the word with them and it yeah. ends yeah. up being for their good. He's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. Let's, let's go ahead and go with this. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, why don't you read those couple of verses, Alyssa? Um, the four. Oh, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Mm. It was, I guess, like, I don't know, like a revival, kind of? Yeah, well, in, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, we call that event revival. Revival, yeah. I think that's a narrow-minded view of revival. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I think revival has events to it where there's miraculous things and people's lives, are, power is released, you know, mm-hmm. from the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. But revival is more than that. Like it's more than just the event. I think it's a, um, that is the kingdom. Yeah. Is being revived. It's this resurrection, mm-hmm. you know, this new life. But um, what translation are you reading? NIV. NIV. Okay. So the NIV says Messiah. They're not using the Greek, Christos, Christ. So dumb that they switch back and forth, I think. Well, a lot of them switch back and forth between Messiah and Christ in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, Wait, this, why does that matter? What is well, this mean? is what I'm saying. It's just, it means the same thing. It's the exact same word. But there's a lot of modern teachers, and I'm just going to be blunt. Some one of them, Richard Rohr, yeah, you know, with his Universal Christ. Mm-hmm. It's more of a Gnostic way of thinking. It is. It is most definitely not the context. And oh, so this is what I'm saying for our listeners. Um, is it, it takes Christ and puts it in like this more of ethereal concept where this the Christ is a spiritual force that intervenes in the world, right? It's kind of the way we think of the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? And some in, in some circles, it's actually a a, a blurring of Jesus from. So the yeah. problem I have with it and why I call it Gnostic is because it it's this belief that Jesus became the Christ. Yeah, that was condemned as heresy. That is Arianism. <laughs> That's heresy. And Arianism was a, a, well, it still exists today in, in a lot of circles. 
Mormons. Yeah. Mormons are Aryan. And in a lot of places without them realizing that's what it is. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I kind of wanted to expose that is because Aryanism is actually making a popular comeback in in certain yeah. uh, tra- hmm. <laughs> Sorry. circles. In certain circles. Um, yeah. This guy, you know, Richard Rohr. There's another guy, Talbot. Uh, David Bentley Hart. They're more Gnostic in their understanding, more, in my opinion, Aryan in their understanding of Jesus and his title, Messiah. They don't like to use the word Messiah. They like that good Greek term Christ, you know. It's kind of anti-Semitic too. It is a little bit. Like, um, apart from Jesus's humanity, he is not Christ. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a bold statement. What I mean is, He had to be human to be Christ. He didn't become anything. When he was born, he was born the Christ. Yes. So anyways. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Have you heard, do you know what I'm talking about? No, no, not at all. So (laughs) Messiah is the Hebrew from the Hebrew Mashiach, Mm -hmm. which means Messiah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then Christ is the Greek from Christos, Mm -hmm. which means Christ. But the problem is, like in the New Testament, it uses Greek, Christ, but then they switch it back and forth. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't really thought about the fact that they tend to use the word Christ in some of these Gnostic things. That makes sense. Yeah. I just hadn't really thought about it. Um, but it just frustrates me because they like switch back and forth. And if you read like the introduction to your Bible translation, some of them say things like, yeah, well, whenever it's referring to his humanity, we focus on Christ. So Messiah, the exact stuff you're talking yeah. about, yeah. yeah. And it's it's like, to me, um, I wouldn't even rather use Messiah or Christ. I'd rather translate it instead of transliterate it. Mm. So transliteration... How would is, that look? Yeah, so transliteration is trying to mimic how it's pronounced in the original language. So if the Greek word is Christos, we come up with a similar word, Christ. And it's like, I've done nothing to translate it. I've just <laughs> taken the word and made it a little bit more Anglo, uh, Anglo-Saxon kind of thing. Uh-huh. A translation would be the anointed or anointed mm-hmm. one. Is the, I'm the cool with anointed one. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that brings some of that uh, flavor. Anointed because yeah. he's king. Uh, N.T. Wright in his Kingdom New Testament translation. Yeah, the, a lot of time he'll say King Jesus. Yeah, King Jesus. That's I, good. I like that. So do you know, and for our listeners, there were messiahs before Jesus and after. So it, because Hundreds. it's anointed one, and I don't mean false messiahs. Yeah. Right. What I mean is Aaron was the anointed high priest. It's that same term in the Hebrew. Herod was an anointed one. He's a king. That's mm-hmm. why he's threatened by the birth of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that that frame, Mashi- that phrase or that word Mashiach, Messiah, is used all... I mean, David was a Messiah. He was an anointed one. And the most offensive one is uh, King Cyrus of Persia in Isaiah is mm. called God's anointed, anointed one. one. His <laughs> Messiah. Yeah, which is like... Whoa. So when we, we over-spiritualize words or phrases or concepts, we... We stop being grounded in truth, I think. And I think it's very important to have context, historical, cultural context, scriptural context, you know, when when we're forming our opinions or interpreting scripture, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I think um, 
So when translators translate from original text to English, they have a decision to make when they come to a word. They're either going to go to, like, here's an example. The, uh, in our English Bibles, usually in the Hebrew, I'm talking about Hebrew, where it says, um, say like Moses met with God face to face. If we translate that literally, it's they met with four eyes or they, they were seeing each other with four eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the literal translation, but that's not what it it's means. Not helpful. Yeah. And it's an idiom. It's an idiom. It's a figure of speech that really what it meant was there was only four eyes present in their meeting. Yeah. It's like an exclusive, deep conversation. They met There's privately. Eyes. Yeah. That's how we would say it. When Moses was said to have met face to face with God, it wasn't like this literal sense of God's nose is against Moses's <laughs> nose and they're gazing into each other's eyes means that he met privately with God. Now the statement, he went up the mountain to meet face to face with God. He went up the mountain to be alone. He met privately and yeah. received revelation that way. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I the proclaimed the Messiah there in that verse. I, I know that's a big springboard <laughs> into that whole subject, but yeah. Well, and like, I mean, for me, whenever I was like reading that, like I just like really just went right over that. Like none of that crossed my <laughs> mind. I was just like, okay, he was telling people about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, See, it. What, that's all I thought. <laughs> having that grounding in that uh, puts Jesus right back into his Jewish context. Mm-hmm. Jesus is King. Jesus is They're king. pronouncing, Hey, yeah. There's a new king in town. Mm-hmm. No wonder they got themselves under so much persecution. This is the yeah. conspiracy between yeah. Pilate and Herod. Yes, Herod played along with the Roman government really, really well. Mm. He could be bought off. Mm. That's how Jesus got crucified. Herod got bought off, right? And Go he on. paid other people off. So Herod's, it's, it's, it's this whole political vying for power thing. Mm-hmm. or trying to maintain this power that they think they had. Mm-hmm. And know? this is why Peter gets called Satan. In the Gospels, right? He says, who do people say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. She's like, good. Then Jesus says, I must go suffer and die. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, no, that's not how a Messiah works, Jesus. Yeah. You just don't get this. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes we people are taught like, oh, Peter was possessed by Satan, the, the being Satan. But that, that word again, adversary, adversary where, if you don't translate meaning for meaning, and you only translate word for word, you lose meaning. That's what I was getting at earlier with yeah. the whole face-to-face thing. Yeah, same thing. It, yeah. He's being adversarial. Or even if hey, he's Peter, calling him... Peter, you set him, yourself against me. Yeah, and even if he's calling him Satan, it's a play on words, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like he's he's being metaphorical. He's, um, I don't know. I could see using a strong metaphor like that if you were angry. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily Satan. That wouldn't be in our context, but it would be, I'm trying to think, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, but we use metaphors that way. Well, I mean, well, I mean yeah, we do. Get behind me, Satan! No, you know? not today. Not today, Satan! Satan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I got. I thought of one. So oh. whenever there's a, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> whenever there's a politician on TV, and it seems like they've done something um, <laughs> a little on the gray side, I'll tend to be like, uh, "Yep, I bet Miss Lewinsky has something else to say." You know what I'm saying? And so it's like oh, like no. those kind of little like, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's like that. I wonder if it's like that. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. You're being, ad- he's known for being adversarial. Mm-hmm. You're being adversarial. Mm-hmm. You're stepping into a type, a role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could get more into that whole 
you know, there's different views on Satan or yeah. the Satan. Yeah, and, the yeah. Hasatan. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about sorcery fun. and sorcerers. Fun, fun. Witches. <laughs> Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer. <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty small story about Simon, but I'm just saying he made a pretty strong impression on the early church because they wrote about the sin of simony, simony, like all the time. He made a pretty strong impression. You're already jumping into it. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's good. I, I got some historical stuff on Sweet. Simon and the. Uh, he's actually considered the father of Gnosticism. Yeah. By a lot of uh, church traditions, yeah. mainline church traditions, yeah. and uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is the second largest branch of the Christian Church in the world, um, often forgotten. Often forgotten. Solid theology too. If I converted to any other domination, it would, <laughs> it would be, be Eastern, Eastern Orthodox. Orthodox. They're awesome. Yeah, I just don't like the liturgy. <laughs> I do. I dig it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I like. I like more of a modern experience. Like the charismatic worship. Uh, mm, mm. I like aspects of it. I think it needs reform, just like anything. Yeah. I think it should progress. It's. I'm starting to see it um, plateau. Mm. Yeah. Everyone's just copying everybody. It's a means to an end. It's not the end in and of itself. And it's like, mm -hmm. we think once we get there, we're like, isn't this great? <laughs> but maybe that's the way things do progress. You know, just for the sake of taking a breath, you know, you, you change, 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 change. Well, at a certain time, it just needs to manage for a while. It's just, let's just stay here yeah. and experience it. And then there'll be more change later. But constant change is not, um, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's, it's you can't keep it going. Yeah. But uh, so Simon the Sorcerer, who's that, Alyssa? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, Get off Instagram. Stop. I'm not on Instagram. I'm on the She's Bible looking at app. Her Bible app. I'm pretty sure she just hearted something. Okay. <laughs> I just double tapped it. <laughs> um, do you want me to read it? Um, that's kind of a. I don't know. He was following around. Um, oh, what's his butt? What's his name? Oh, what's his butt? Peter. Philip. Well, Philip first, yeah. And he was like amazed at the stuff that he was doing, like healing people and stuff like that because like he did the same kind of stuff, right? Yeah, well, verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Yeah. But then basically he tried to pay off Peter and John to give them or to give him that authority to lay hands on people and do like give them the Holy spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I, I like this translation, honestly. The he, NIV. Yeah. He says that your money will die with you or, you know, some, what like, verse is that? I'm trying to find it. Hang on. Um, oh, dang. <laughs> verse 20, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Mm. Dang. Mic drop. Yeah, yeah. for Can real. Can I grab that mic and drop it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew, do you want to bring a little bit of info about Simon the Sorcerer? Scripture doesn't talk about him too much, but there's other texts. Yeah. I don't know much about Simon, honestly. I just know, I've read very little of the early church fathers in general, let mm -hmm. alone on on Simon, is it Simony? Simony? Simon? The sin of 
sorcerer? Simon Magus is what he's usually known known as. No, like uh, the sin that they. Oh no! Oh, so because um, they like have a they have a name for it, right? Like Simoninianism. Okay. <laughs> si- Simonianism. Simonianism. I had to say that one very slow in my head. <laughs> could you hear me like mouthing it a little yes. bit? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I could see, like, if you didn't have headphones on, I think I would have seen some steam coming out here. <laughs> That's, <laughs> those letters are arranged funny for my tongue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was just going to say that um, the words for miracles here, it's like a great and powerful kind of deed. Mm-hmm. And then he's also said to have done, he's said to be a man with the power of God. That's what people are saying about him, which is probably blasphemy. And then also they're amazed because of his magic. Mm-hmm. And it's like the same thing, this powerful word. So it's like they're contrasted. Yeah. God's power, man's power. Some translations will call him Simon Magus, M-A-G-U-S. Mm-hmm. That's just from the Greek word that means magician or sorcerer. Transliteration at it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Simon was a Samaritan guy and he's known by a, a lot of prominent scholars cross denominationally as, um, the founder of Gnosticism, yeah. at, at least Gnosticism, the Christian influenced Gnosticism. That's what I mean by that. There yeah. were Gnostic traditions prior to Christianity. There is no Gnosticism. There's right. Gnosticism, so like, but yeah, yeah. Did he like give up magic and actually like followed like no no he's actually bringing christianity into his magic practices oh and um i think it was Irenaeus um that wrote i i could be wrong on this um there was a uh late first early second century um father that um wrote that simon at one point trying to demonstrate his great power that he had more power than Peter himself. Uh, he's either Peter or John, uh, conjured demons and it caused it. He would levitate using, and there's multiple sources saying that Simon would levitate or had some sort of power to levitate. And it was the way the lore goes or the way the tradition goes is that, uh, the demons raised him up and, um, just dropped him and killed him from a high height. What? I like that. Yeah. Serves you right. And then Peter used that with Simon's dead corpse um, laying there next to him, said, look, this is the kingdom of darkness, and used it as a an opportunity to preach the gospel. That's kind of savage, though. Savage. <laughs> Dang. But it's kind of Peter, too, right? Yeah. I mean, you've already already Ananias read. and Sapphira. I was about to say, you've already read Acts 5. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's more tradition. Yeah. You know, so... But of all traditions that have arisen in the early centuries, this that one is yeah. more attested than others, right? Yeah. So if you if you just the wiki page, uh, the Wikipedia for Simon Magus is uh, or Simon the Magician is actually pretty good. It has some good uh, information on there. He's Samaritan. Um, he uh, some early church fathers: Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Hippolytus. And uh, Epiphanius all describe him at length. Um, so he's during during the first century. He's a well known person. Mm-hmm. He's a person of 
influence. Yeah, people definitely know. Mm-hmm. And that's name. why Luke, he didn't have to explain who this dude was. His readers would have known who Simon the Magician is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that legend, the oh, Simon mm-hmm. the Magician. Yeah. yeah. Getting back to that Gnostic thing, though, it's all throughout the New Testament. They are blatantly um, anti-Gnostic. So I'll just say that. Some people don't have a problem with that in today's church. And that and they're wrong. They, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enough said. Andrew just said it. Um, Philip and the Ethiopian. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to Philip and the Ethiopian. You want to set that up a little bit? You want to read some of it? Um... It's so, starting in verse 26, I, I think. I mean, hold on, my phone is. Hello. You on Instagram again? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it like auto rotated and it wouldn't go back. Okay. Um. So basically, an angel told, or a messenger told. <laughs> A supernatural being. We had this whole yeah. debate. Yeah, I had that uh, conversation in my Bible class. Yeah. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Are, are they, are, is it just, again, a transliteration, you know? Yeah, angel is. Angel is. I, but I say like capital M messenger, like this otherworldly figure versus lowercase m messenger. Oh, okay, so in that sense, we're all angels. We're messengers. Mm-hmm. But then there's like this. There's definitely a spiritual figure. creature yeah. being. Yeah. And. Yeah. Well, and again, he writes it like it's like totally normal. Uh, by the way, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. Like he's just writing it like, okay, an angel said this. Like, yeah, not even bothered. Just yeah. Like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. an angel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, oh no, I lost my spot. I like what you, you've pointed out multiple times, Alyssa, while you're looking for that, is um, how commonplace angelic sighting and interaction was yeah then right this is the birth of the church it was so commonplace but i I almost think it was because one they were willing for that to be an experience Mm -hmm. and two um when it happened they didn't brush it off they didn't rationalize it they didn't explain it away Mm. Yeah, right. they, they just went with it and said this was it. an angel and he said this. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. So he told him to go down this road. Uh, so he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of Ethiopians. Uh, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Uh, let's see. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of the of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, "Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else?" 
which that to me tells me that like he knew of like literature, you know, and how like poets or someone could be like writing something kind of, uh, what is the word? Like creative or, you know, then they can be writing about themselves or someone else kind of thing. Like, mm. I guess he was kind of, I mean, he did work for the queen. So I guess he was up there already. Educated, yeah. 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 That was a big lip smack just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Craig Keener points out, um, there are some, uh, keywords here that give clear, um, uh, that are, that make it very clear where this guy's from, okay? And I'm gonna read just a a couple sentences right here. Um, In Greek, Ethiopians, in quotations, were black Africans, and Ethiopia referred to all of Africa south of Egypt. So the mention of Kandaki, we're probably butchering that word. Probably. Yeah. Makes clear which African empire is in view here. Nubian empires had existed south of Egypt since about 3000 BC with Nubians and Egyptians controlling one another in various periods. The Nubian empire implied here was the kingdom of Moreau. Again, I'm probably butchering that M-E-R-O-E with an umlaut above it. Umlaut. Or the two dots. The German thing, right? The German thing is, yeah. (laughs) The dots in the German. Yeah which had flourished since the 8th century BC. Um, anyways, he goes on and gives more information about this this so, kingdom. And there's tons of information on this kingdom, um, you know, dating all the way back to ancient Egypt and everything like that. She's, she's the queen of this. Mm-hmm. So, like, she... Is that saying that she was probably... Or, like, the eunuch probably wasn't, like, black? Like, his skin wasn't dark? It was more of a lighter... He was black. He was, he was a black man. Yeah. Although they didn't think about stuff like that as much as mm-hmm. we do. Like, yeah. Like it wasn't as big of a strong racial divide like it is today. Yeah. Hey, Josh, what's a eunuch? <laughs> <laughs> well, he chopped his penis off. <laughs> yeah. And either they would just remove it. He didn't, the, probably. Well, no, not him. <laughs> um, and usually different cultures do it different ways. I know like the Babylonians, when they brought, um, they would bring slaves in and then as adult men, um, adolescent and even infants, it didn't matter what age you were. But then in some cultures, you were raised to be a eunuch. So even at a young age, infancy, you were castrated. Mm-hmm. Um, to my understanding, it was either all or just the testicles. Mm-hmm. Somebody might want to, Correct me on my knowledge of <laughs> castration. I think it was mainly the testicles. Because mm-hmm. I think it was like, to get really specific, I think it was like the idea, especially if he's like a servant of this queen, mm-hmm. that those who serve in these higher up positions, they don't want them, like, uh, you know, King doesn't want to be nervous about her flirting with the pool boy. Right. And yeah, so yeah. it's like, let's make sure he doesn't have much of a drive yeah. for that anymore anyway. Yeah. That's so what, it's that kind of thing. That's what I was reading about, like, this guy specifically, too, is that he was like a, he worked with the money and, like, you know, that, taking that away would. Taking what away? His penis okay. <laughs> or or his testicles. I don't know. Whichever We're assuming one it that is. There's only adults listening to this, so <laughs> <laughs> I 
Maybe I'll mark this one explicit. Oh my gosh. I mean, because no. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a little explicit for. Wow. I suppose. All you do is mention the proper terminology for genitalia, and now we're explicit. So we have family. So we've raised our kids. We have four kids, right? And we've raised them using medical terms, biological terms. Proper biological terms. Penis, vagina, breast, you know, yes. the whole thing. Proper terms. Proper terms. I hate it, and I think it aids into body shaming. Um, and uh, just uh, let me say it this way. Like using nicknames for it? Using nicknames propagates um, an uncomfortableness about the human body. Yes. And it 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 just furthers wrong perspectives of the human body. It's not funny. It's not silly. It's not no, a joke. Well, and statistically, kids who have been... Um, I was going to say that. molested or anything mm-hmm. like that, they're more likely, yes, I guess, to not find out about it. Like people don't find out about it because they don't talk about, about it. Yeah, they don't use words. the proper terms. And sometimes it's these really weird terms. These that, code names. That like, like the, the abuser has used purposefully mm-hmm. so that when they tell somebody, they have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And it's, yeah. 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 They like, talk about looking for that stuff. Like Hannah was studying social work in college at one point. They talk about that stuff. They talk Hannah's about your that. wife. Hannah's my wife, yeah. my wife, Hannah. <laughs> and uh, they talked about it in some of my pastoral classes, even like, mm. you know, watching out for that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's important. So it was important to us to make sure our kids knew exactly about their body. And um, as it's age appropriate, you know, we teach them about sexuality and it's healthy. It's a gift from God and what? instead of having one talk and leaving it all up to that. Yeah. We're not going to leave it up to some institution to teach our kids what their opinion of sexuality and gender is. Mm-hmm. Novel concept. So, you know, since we, since we brought that up, yeah, I, I kind of want to just go this. there. Okay. And, um, this idea of the eunuch and, uh, Andrew, you brought up something really, uh, intriguing to me about, mm-hmm. um, well, why don't you just, yeah, well, there's, um, there are a lot of sexually broken people in our world today in a, a wide variety of senses. Um, a lot of people who um, may, may have been abused as a child and, and that causes some weird things later on for them. Um, there actually is a interesting, um, I don't know if I should say significant, there, there's a large-ish number of people who have had uh, sexual reassignment surgery and later regretted it. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they're caught in this in-between and they, they want to like really embrace faith. And it's hard for those people to get plugged in because we just kind of don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. But I think the story, especially as we read it today in our context, is a reminder that the sexually broken are people too. They need Jesus too. And they need community mm-hmm. as well. Um I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, it's funny. He went to the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah. He wasn't allowed very far in there. Like, like he couldn't have gone into many of the courts there mm-hmm. because of his eunuch status. Um, and in fact, explicitly, he couldn't have officially converted to Judaism. So he's not Jewish, not even a proselyte, like a mm-hmm. convert, because you can't convert to Judaism as a eunuch. Mm. But he can follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Dude, that's a really good point. I like that. Legalism doesn't have a way mm-hmm. for the sexually broken. Yes. Doesn't offer redemption for the sexually broken. Yes. But grace does. Mm-hmm. In Christ, 
there's redemption for the sexually broken. And I find it significant that baptism plays such an important role in this piece. Baptism is a spiritual phenomenon, but it is also a physical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a so body in, goes into water. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? I love how ambitious this guy is. He's having an encounter with Jesus. And he can join right then and there. He just explained the gospel and there's no hesitation. I'm allowed to join. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Philip, a Hellenistic Jew, he's a Jew, didn't hesitate. Mm. Right? Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Oh, and then, of course, the next one, I guess, is something we can get into also. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel. So, yeah. In all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I've never noticed that before, that he was just taken away. You've never noticed that before? No. <laughs> it's read over. So here's my, sh- this, I'm looking at Andrew like he's an alien right now. Yeah. But but only because it, this is what I love about sitting down and just having open conversations with people from diametrically different backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? Is in the church circles that I've grown up in, this is talked about a lot as a proof text for God, the term is um, uh, transport transportation. Okay, that's the term that later, you know, Pentecostals yeah, and yeah, Charismatics yeah. gave it. Are you familiar yeah. with that term? No. Okay, so transportation is on on this side of heaven, mm-hmm. um, the Holy Spirit taking a physical being, physical matter, and transporting it supernaturally from one location to the next, like this seems to be saying. Like it's like the, what is that blue guy on uh, X-Men? Nightcrawler. Yeah, that guy. Like that. (laughs) Transportation. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually what his (laughs) ability is called, transportation. Right. Okay. Um, And then translation is this supernatural phenomena of, we call it astral projection in the new, well, not the we, new I'm not, it, the new age movement calls yeah. it astral projection. Okay. Um, but it's the exact same thing that Paul describes being um, in the third heaven. You know, they call that translation. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's I don't hear like, that a lot anymore, but like church of Christ circles are big on the, what hindereth me from being baptized? Like, why is that a big thing? Because church of Christ ordo salutis, that is the way we, have thought that the order of our accepting the gospel goes is that if you want to follow Jesus, um, we don't do the, uh, like the sinner's prayer. Like we don't have that. You just go get baptized. Baptism is the first step in our, Mm. in our liturgy. And so he's like, what hindereth me from being baptized? And we're like, boom, he did it immediately. Yeah. And we're like, therefore you have to do it immediately. Cause if you die in a car wreck on the way home, you go into hell. And it's like, uh, is Church of Christ, and I know there's differing beliefs. Yeah. We've already talked about that. But in general, do most Church of Christ see baptism and salvation one and the same? 
you're saved when you are baptized? Yes, very much so. And you are not saved unless you're very baptized. Very much so. And it has to be full, full immersion too. So word confession is not as, like as enough. It's like, not enough they to take get you a confession in heaven. while you're standing in the baptistry and then you're baptized. But the confession itself is really not very uh, emphasized. Mm. Um, and it has to be full immersion. Like my big toe came up when I was baptized. And there was a lady in the church who wanted to re-baptize me just to be sure. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm going <laughs> to trust Jesus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> deeply concerned for myself. My big toe may or may not be in heaven. We'll just see. So y'all want to talk about baptism for a little bit? Sure. Okay. So there's um, different views on Definitely. water baptism. Definitely. Um, I know in an earlier episode, we talked about this um, Jesus name only thing. Mm-hmm. versus in the name of the father and the, the son, son and, and the Holy, Holy spirit. spirit. Yeah. Um, some traditions will say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's it. And that's it. That's a, some Pentecostal circles. Yeah. That's mostly in UPC. And I think, um, uh, Pentecostal church of God, yeah. I could be wrong on that, but, but I know UPC. Yeah. I've heard of that before. Um, and probably not every United Pentecostal church, but, um, not United Pentecostal Church of God. It's Church of God. Anyways, okay. yeah, anyway, um, in some apostolic churches. Anyway, my point is, um, so there's there's that. That's a, a, a debate. I, I knew a uh, Pentecostal preacher. He said, you know, I don't know. I see both, but I hear you know people tell me this, and other people have this, and he had his congregation was split down the middle on it. Hmm. You know, because they they left the UPC. And became a non-denominational church. Well, um, so his fix for it, which I, I thought was awesome, it was beautiful. Um, he goes, "I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit." <laughs> <laughs> it's a, for his congregation that worked. It made both sides happy. So hmm. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Cool with it. It's fine. Uh, we even talked about like this idea of like. Sometimes as Christians, we think saying in the name of Jesus is like some sort of magic incantation. To like, end of prayer. Like in the name of does not mean you're saying the name Jesus. It's the authority by which you're operating. All right. That's what that meant. Like in the name of the king. It was in the authority of the king. Meaning it's you have permission. Proclamatory, it's proclamatory in, a, in, a, yeah. in like a, a culture that doesn't have much literacy, written things. You know, I can't just show you my passport to prove who I am. Mm-hmm. Or I can't show you my badge to prove I'm an officer. I have to say, oh, I'm in the name of mm-hmm. blank, or I'm Paul from Tarsus. You can look it up. I have Roman citizenship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing. So this is why um, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit was so important because that's the seal of the king. That's the signet ring that proves yes. the authority. It's good. I'll just lay that out there. It's good. Um, I don't know if we'll really dig into it, but Paul describes baptism in Romans six. And I think one of the most overlooked things about baptism in our evangelical world, we mostly reduce it to a symbolic, symbolic act, you know, or it's just this act of obedience that symbolizes an outward sign of an inward feeling. Exactly. I hate that phrase. And, but if if you want to do your own study on it, you go to Romans. Um, I would really read Romans 5, 6, and 7, and 8 all together. 
personally, um, to put it in context, but Paul um, unpacks this idea of water baptism. And what I, I'm not going to read it, but what I love about what Paul is saying, there's a couple things that he, he emphasizes. One, water baptism is all about community, hmm. identifying with the Christian community, right? The family of God. But two, it is a, it is a, um, the way I read it is Paul understands there's a supernatural work taking place that not just is, it's not just a proclamation. It's not just symbolic. It's kind of prophetic in nature where you're identifying with not just the death of Jesus, but the new life in Jesus. See, the whole point was we're saved from sin and death. Mm -hmm. Sin is put to death and buried, left underwater. So when you come up, you're saying, now I am a new creation. I'll say it this way. I'm no longer merely a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. I'm redeemed. I'm better than this now. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer identifying with old man. That's why I say read chapter seven alongside that, because people confuse what Paul's saying. You know, the things I ought to do, I do not do. The doo-doo chapter. The, the doo-doo chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> so, And I, I was going to say, like, early baptistries were cross-shaped. Like, really? they found baptistries, and it was a pretty frequent practice in some of the early centuries. They were cross-shaped. Mm-hmm because you're dying with Christ and then mm. you're raising with Christ. And so that was very symbolic for him. Also, I've read that they did it naked. Like they were baptized naked. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, maybe in certain circles. I know I've read other documents where they, they had special like white garments. That, that was like given on the other side. Oh, wow. Like, really? like you, you, Adam and Eve were naked and they were ashamed. And so you die, then you come back out. Then they hand you the white clean garments. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. A lot I more symbolism than we put into it. Now it's just like, well, here we go. All right, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, ritual cleansing and ritual washing was big in antiquity. And oh, yeah. Multiple, um, not just the Jewish customs. Customs. I said that weird. Customs. Costumes. Costumes. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I mean, Jesus was baptized in water. So I feel like that's a pretty good... Thing to go off of like if what's good enough for him and what jesus does <laughs> no that, that's, that's good i mean so he look, the foundation of our baptism when jesus Christ. was baptized look at that what happened when he came up out of the water behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world right there's supernatural events that are taking place immediately upon his uh what's the mm. word coming up yeah right the holy spirit but i want to say this one more time just when it says the Holy Spirit descended as a dove, it does not mean a dove, a literal dove floated down and perched mm. on Jesus's shoulder like a little white gargoyle. You know? <laughs> a little white gargoyle. I like that imagery though. <laughs> now I kind of wish it was a little white gargoyle. No, it, it's an idiom. It just means it was, the Holy Spirit um, was interacting gently so this idea of like a dove just meant gently. It's also the same word when the spirit hovers over the face of the water. 
it flutters over the face of the water. Now oh, the spirit's really? fluttering over Jesus who just came out of the water. God made new creation. He made creation with the spirit fluttering over the water. Mm. He makes new creation with the spirit. See, this goes back into what Paul is saying. Chapter six It's this new creation thing. We're not celebrating our death. No, we're celebrating our new life. And so here's what I'm saying. It's more than just symbol. It's supernatural as well. I agree. There is grace released in the water baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Where it empowers the believer to live in new life. Yeah. We don't use this language in the non-denom groups as much, um, and we don't use this in Church of Christ either. I don't know if you guys do, but I, I want to call it a sacrament. I'm, I'm good with that. I say baptism yeah, yeah. is a sacrament. John uses the term sacrament a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and in the evangelical world, we really only have two. Yeah, that, baptism and Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Orthodox Church that consider, considers marriage a sacrament. And Catholics. Catholics do too? I think so. Wait, okay. what, is, what is that? A sacred tradition. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a better uh, they get it. Yeah, it's like a sacred tradition. It's, it's mysterious and not perfectly understandable. It's like, it's the simple thing, but there's more than meets the eye. Oh, like the original okay. Greek is like mysterium. It's, it's this mm-hmm. deep mystery. So yeah. like baptism. Yeah, okay. You're just dunking in water, coming back out. But it's like, no, there's more than meets the eye. Or like for Catholics, the communion is very much like it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. That is Mm -hmm. his body, his blood. Yeah, the fancy word for that is uh, transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. It's literally his body. So they're like, yeah, it's a mystery. It's it's that kind of stuff. Marriage, something different has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I definitely see marriage that way. I definitely see water baptism that way. Yeah. I see um, Lord's Supper. That way. What are some of the other sacraments that ordination, um, the the setting apart for ministry, anointing the sick with oil? See, I see it. I see that as well. And I wish uh, that independent one? churches ordination. Ordination, yeah. There's power released in that. We so in charismatic circles, we believe in impartation, right? But it's the same idea. Something from heaven. We have no being ordination. released. We have Church no of Christ doesn't formal ordination at all. No, like there's no, it's, it's more like, did you go to a Bible college? Yeah. All right. Okay. You're there's good. <laughs> no, yeah. There's no formal, like we are establishing you as a minister. I I'm going to, we had something like that. I'm going to drop this right now as we eventually come to a close. <laughs> but, um, I think that's something in my heart to see here in Bastrop. I would like to, um, establish a, uh, ministry school, um, mm. that's, um, uh, Interdenominational, interdenominational. Inter- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, so when I went through uh, mission school, it was um, uh, it was a part of uh, the Messianic movement, mm-hmm. and um, but their focus was missions, and then also trying to bring that you know historical that bringing a Hebrew context back to our expression of Christianity, and. Um, I'm very grateful for that experience that I had. Um, but they had um, Anglican teachers come in. They had uh, uh, people from more of a Pentecostal background. Um, they had a Catholic uh, priest. His name was Father Peter Hawken. Um, I believe he died in 2018. Hmm. Um, you can go to his website and like he has just, it's just kind of an archive 
I think it's just like Father Peter Hawk, like fr Peter Hawken uh, dot org. I think. Google it. <laughs> um, incredible insight on the gifts of the Holy Spirit mm. um, and uh, just prayer in general. Um, this guy devoted, I would say, 80% of his day to just praying, spending time in the presence of God and talking with the Lord. So, anyways, I would yeah. love to see something like that in Bastrop where, absolutely, you know, dibs on preaching. There you go. <laughs> preaching <laughs> professor. <laughs> I got a spot held for you. Um, well, that's the end of chapter eight there, you know. And then Saul's going to get what's coming to him. Saul, that dirty, that dirty dog. (laughs) (laughs) Saul is an interesting story. I like him. I like Saul. You know, at the beginning of the series, uh, one of the things that we um, brought up about the book, brought up about the book of Acts, I cannot talk today, um, was one of the ways you could um, divide the book of Acts is through Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry. Yep. Um, I think there's a lot of missed echoes. I think that's the right word, echoes of the Old Testament in Saul's story. What do you mean by that? Well, we have another famous Saul. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's significant, I think, that his name is changed, Saul, to Paul. So there's some debate over that, too. Yeah. So... Some scholars say that he didn't actually change his name. He just used the Greek version of his Ah. name because he was ministering to the Greeks. That's interesting. I haven't heard that before. Well, I know that, you know, Sha'al, it means asked for, which is hilarious because Israel demands to have a king. Mm. And then they got what they asked for. (laughs) Sha'al asked for. And then his inauguration day, they're looking for him. They ask for Saul and then he's hiding. Here, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look up right now. And then Saul, now he's asked for by the Lord. What does the name Paul mean? Did uh, you just say that? It means, it means humble or small. Okay. So he goes from asked for to small and humble. It's mm, interesting. That is interesting. That'll preach. I would say that's a name change. Huh? That's mm. not a maybe it rhymes in English. <laughs> yeah. because uh, seems like a change. What is it? Uh Paulinus in the Greek? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Paulos or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. When we get to Apollos, we got some Ooh. conversation on that one. Talk about some Greek gods and stuff. <laughs> but Alyssa and I were talking about that the other day. Fantastic. Um, well, it's like Peter was a nickname. It wasn't his actual name. Right. They referred to him. His name was uh, Cephas. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. He didn't have an actual name change. It was it was like a prophetic thing. We yeah. would say prophetic thing. Meaning yeah. God pulling something out of Peter. I think, I, li- I like what you, you Paul is, is not necessarily maybe his name, but the nickname he started going by, the name change. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was a common thing. That was very common thing. That was a common thing. Because you, you have to, they don't have surnames really. So you have other ways of identifying people. So you have James and John, comma, the sons of thunder. Mm-hmm. That's their nickname. Mm-hmm. Or you have Jesus. That's how it differentiated. Of Nazareth. Yeah. Like Judas Iscariot. Yeah, the one that betrayed Jesus. Uh-huh, right. Jude, 
comma, the brother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aw, Jude. I like Jude. <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? <laughs> I like how he just totally plagiarizes Peter. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> he totally does. <laughs> hey, it's okay. The gospel authors definitely plagiarized each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Could you if they were students that? in my classroom, somebody would be getting an F for plagiarism. <laughs> this papyrus comes across Judas's desk. For this, this story, he has a desk. And he reads it. He's like, well, if it ain't broke, sign his name and send it out. <laughs> he adds like a little yeah. bit. Enoch. He adds, he adds his- Enoch. That's it. <laughs> it just makes it worse. <laughs> it makes it so much worse. <laughs> One of the most complicated problems in our Bible. Hey, do you listen to, um, uh, you know who Michael Heiser is, right? Yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, Michael Heiser has a great YouTube channel called, uh, I think it's called, uh, three two uh, pop three two one. Can you look it up real quick? Yeah. I think it's pop three two one. Michael Heiser. Um, but did he uh, write books? He's written several or, books. Or three two one French pop or something like something like that. Alyssa's gonna get it and let listeners know. He talks about all that French stuff that some Christians get just distracted and confused and. Yeah taken away by the mystery is sexy, right? Oh yeah. You know, and one of the things he's like, just because a book is really old, that doesn't mean it's scripture. (laughs) Mm. That doesn't mean it has any weight to it. There's like a popular idea in the academy nowadays. And a lot of people get exposed to this train of thought that, well, the early Christians had all sorts of texts. They had all sorts of quote, Bibles. And then eventually the canon was made to exclude these other people. And it's like a form of oppression. And I'm like, no, that's not really historically what happened. Like, yeah, the canon was pretty well acknowledging what already was agreed upon for the most part. Mm-hmm. Hebrews and Revelation were a compromise. The <laughs> The East liked Revelation, didn't care for Hebrews. The West liked Hebrews, didn't care for Revelation. They're like, ah, we'll put them both in. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's pretty well like the churches were using these. All right. I mean, even by the time the Reformation in 15, was it 1517 is the date we kind of, yeah, that's when it started. Really, it started way before that, but. Of course. Um, Luther was like, throw it out. <laughs> Although he he liked calling the Pope the beast. Throw what out? Oh, Revelation? Revelation. He wasn't a he fan of He didn't care for James as much either. Yeah, he didn't like James. Fringe Pop 321. Fringe Pop 321. Dr. Michael Heiser. He talks about all that French stuff. Cool. And he talks about Enoch and exa- that stuff you're ta- we're talking yeah. about right now. Yeah. Um, it's easy to get pulled down those rabbit holes. People want to... It's a distraction it's from... A distraction. Mystery is sexy. That, that, was, that was good. Yeah. That's true. Well, man, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think we're going to wrap it up right here. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. We got kids to pick up. Oh, we do? Yeah. I thought I thought mom and dad were just taking them for the weekend. <laughs> it's Monday. It's <laughs> like, like, Monday. Well, you know, through the weekend. <laughs> Doubt. Is that what I'm going to be like? <laughs> Is that what I have to look forward to? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was crying, by the way. That was not Alyssa. <laughs> well, all right. Nathan's not here for us to do our our, our sign off. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Not Sunday School podcast. If you want to send in a question so we can try to answer it during one of our episodes, you can submit them to notsundayschoolpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send the voice recording. If you want to know as soon as our weekly episodes drop, then be sure to follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, and smash the notification bell too. Don't forget to share this with your friends and family. And also join us next week as we pick up our conversation and continue in the book of Acts.